Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Any element may be transformed into another element through the quality they have in common. Thus, fire can become air through the medium of heat, just as air can become water through the medium of fluidity. And also two elements may become a third element by removing one quality from each. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today we are going into our third and probably final dive into the inner planes. Today we're going to be talking about the para-elemental planes. These are the transitional planes between each of the primary elemental planes. So you have the plane of ice between air and water. We have the plane of smoke or ash, depending on addition between air and fire. You've got the plane of magma between fire and earth and the plane of ooze between earth and water. And these are the planes that we're going to be talking about today. We're combining them all into one episode because there's a little less going on in each of these compared to what goes on in the primary elemental planes. So we felt like we could get them a little bit more mushed up together for this episode. Right. Buckle up. This one's going to be a bit ethereal. This one's going to be a bit of a wonky episode. That said, depending on how you want to look at this, this is either like a horrible thing or a great thing, depending on perspective. Hey, look, we're a world building podcast and Wizards has gone out and they have really set out a foundation for these intermediary or these quasi planes and left little else. Well, I'm actually going to stop you here for a second because the para elemental planes And the quasi-elemental planes are actually two different things. In the Great Wheel cosmology, as it was presented in 2nd edition, there were both para-elemental planes and quasi-elemental planes. And the quasi-elemental planes were where each of the four primary elemental planes interacted with either the positive or negative energy plane. That's correct, yes. I... Unfortunately, use the terms interchangeably. Yeah. But that's my error. So the quasi-elemental planes aren't in 5th edition because the positive and negative energy planes aren't in 5th edition. They've been sort of dispersed throughout the other planes. Primarily the positive plane, I think, got shunted largely into the Feywild, and the negative plane got shunted largely into the Shadowfell. Yes, that is correct. And that was all part of the uh, spell plague, and we will get into that. But what I was going to go back and say is that Wizards really left us with a fairly solid foundation to build off of, but there's no structure up there. So if you're up into world building, heaven forbid, listening to a world building podcast, there's a bit to work with here. There's a really good setting, I will say. Obviously, like I said, I've used the term foundation a lot because that's really what it is. You've got a base level and you can do pretty much whatever you want with it at that point. There's not a whole lot of established canon. There's not a whole lot of established lore, but it is definitely there is something there. Absolutely. It's kind of like a term that is used by people who buy and flip houses. The bones are good. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's, It's got some solid bones to it. It's got a framework around which you can build a lot of stuff. But I think that's probably about all there is there. Because even if you were house flipping, you'd be like walking into where like someone started building a house and then got distracted or maybe they ran out of money halfway through or something and they never really finished the project. And so like you're walking into this half built home. Yeah, I, I see it as they got the foundation poured and they got the framing up and they maybe got a roof on it. Here's hoping. And that's about it. There's, there's no interior walls. There's no exterior walls. There's no wiring. There's no plumbing. And you're going to need a whole hell of a lot of paint. Well, you got a ways to go before you even get to paint. Right. But And like I said, that can be either an extremely daunting thing to look at and I don't want to touch it. Or if you really want to make something yours and build it from the ground up, this is your time to shine. Right. And that's kind of what we're going to try and get to today is explain what is there and try and brainstorm some ideas around how you might be able to use it so that it becomes a little bit less of a daunting task. Because a lot of times what you really need is some examples and you need some ideas so that you can see the ideas and then your brain starts filling in the gaps between those ideas. You need that fodder to get started. Absolutely. It's kind of like if you've ever played the old Mario Kart games, like when you're first learning, you always play with a ghost because you kind of see how the ghost runs for the timing. It's kind of like that in my head. Okay. Yeah, I never really got a whole lot into Mario Kart, mainly because I didn't have anyone to play with. 
and also because I was 16 before I got my first game console. (laughs) (laughs) So so that happens. My first game console was a GameCube. So yeah, that's... I mean, I now pl- I feel old. Thanks, Ian. I played stuff on the older stuff. I mean, the first game I ever played was Sonic Two, I think it was on the Dreamcast. But yeah, that wasn't something that I had a whole lot of growing up. I think my nephew's first game console was a GameCube. So, like I said, I'm actually feeling quite old right now. <laughs> but again, like as I said, I was almost out of high school by the time I got it. Right. Anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> so a little bit of background on the para elemental planes. The para elemental planes go back to the beginning. They existed in OD&D. They first appeared in Dragon number 27. And Gary Gygax gave them the title of Para-Elemental Planes starting in Dragon number 32. So the Para-Elemental Planes of Smoke, Magma, Ice, and Ooze, the four of those planes have existed since the beginning. There has always been a plan. Trust the plan. Yes. (laughs) These four planes continued in existence through AD&D 1st Edition and AD&D 2nd Edition. They played fairly prominently in the Planescape books, maybe not as prominently as some of the quasi-elemental planes, but they're definitely there, they're definitely used. Once you get to 3rd Edition, Wizards of the Coast, when they took over, started to get away from the Great Wheel cosmology, which is where there's actually a transition between the elemental planes for these para-elemental planes and the quasi-elemental planes to exist. So you get to 3rd edition, and you still have the para-elemental creatures. So you still have your ice elemental and your magma elemental and your smoke and ooze elementals. But these elementals exist on both of the planes that they are partially aligned with, as opposed to existing in their own plane. Right. If you want to get into some of the actual lore, when Wizards of the Coast took over D&D in 3rd edition, they really shifted the way the cosmology went. So even cosmological wheel completely, even to the point that they blew up and burnt down the world tree of all freaking things. Like they literally took everything and scrapped it. And there's a great thing called the Spell Plague, which we'll get into, which was basically the Wizards of the Coast grabbing the Etch-A-Sketch, shaking it really hard and saying, OK, this is ours now and now we're redrawing it. And so that's a really hard point to reset off of. And then it's kind of funny because they're almost slowly transitioning back to the way things were in one and two. The more you look at things and things break up, they're slowly ebbing back, which is kind of an interesting thing to see as well. Well, I think part of it is the amount of backlash that they received over fourth edition because fourth edition was not well received. The rollout was not handled especially well. And so in fourth edition, they did away with the Great Wheel cosmology entirely, and they moved to what was called the world axis. So all of the elemental planes ended up getting just removed entirely and shunted into this conglomeration that they called the elemental chaos. So all four of the elemental planes went into the elemental chaos. The abyss was actually the bottom of the elemental chaos. So it actually, it all sort of congealed together into one mass. Limbo was also part of the elemental chaos. So they did it to try and get away from just how inhospitable the elemental planes were to travel in the old editions, and especially in second edition. Now, going back with all the stuff and the great elemental chaos and things like that, going back to lore, which I tend to enjoy. Wow, the birds are crazy loud right now. Asmodan makes some really solid pushes to do some stuff in there. And as I said, I never played fourth edition because, as Ian mentioned, the rollout was so bad. It got canned really hard by a lot of reviewers, so I kind of skipped over fourth edition. That said, looking back into it, they really did try to build on the lore a lot. Coming back forward to 5th edition, though, I think that was, again, with them just being able to take the whole Etch-A-Sketch and shaking it, kind of using the same analogy, if you've got oil and water, if you've ever done one of those density experiments in, like, high school or anything like that, where you've got, like, the colored oil, the water, vegetable oil, alcohol, and you took the whole thing and kind of shook it up and everything slowly separates, we're at that separation stage where it's not completely separated but we're getting those layers back, which makes it really nice. So the planes themselves are more habitable. You can survive and interact in these planes, which allows for a lot more story to happen, which I enjoy. And you still have these pockets of this elemental chaos that's still trying to bubble and separate out, which if you want to delve into there, have at you because it is there for you. 
Yeah, and when 5th edition came out, they went back to the Great Wheel cosmology, partly because they were trying to harken back to the older editions because so many of the players of the older editions felt alienated by 4th edition. And even by some of the ways that late 3rd edition just became so math heavy and so clogged with stuff. And so they were trying to harken back to the older editions, which is why you ended up having Curse of Strahd comes out because they are going back to the second edition Ravenloft setting. You have Tomb of Annihilation, which is harkening back to the old Tomb of Horrors module. And so you end up having all of that callback to the older stuff. And so they have to shift back to some of the older cosmological concepts to try and root themselves back into the base lore that made D&D D&D. And again, if you've not noticed by now, I happen to be a huge Blizzard fanboy. Ian does enjoy some Blizzard games too, but the way this feels, 4th edition feels like Blizzard's expansion for WoW of Cataclysm, where really they just took the whole world and crumpled it up and said, oh, everything is different now. I'm I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, that's fine. 4th edition... 4th edition... <laughs> Fourth edition was Warlords of Draenor. I wouldn't really go that far. With yes, just because, because it, it is a complete alternate timeline. And is they it actually com- an alternate timeline? Yes. Okay. It is a complete alternate timeline. It is the timeline where they don't actually take the fell power from Gul'dan. And so the Iron Horde doesn't come through the portal. Well, I know I know Warlords of Draenor is a different timeline, but fourth edition is a different timeline? No, I'm equating the different timeline from World of Warcraft to the different cosmology from Dungeons and Dragons. Just just that whole completely upending how everything is understood. Now, you started playing, you played Wrath, correct? I started playing in Wrath, yes. Okay, you started playing. I started playing back in Vanilla, and just everything from your starting zones up, you know, when Deathwing comes through and he changes everything, that was from the pre-patch in Wrath leading up to, that literally changed so many aspects and so much flavor of the world. And that's what I was kind of getting with with 4th edition, is with all these planes and how the cosmology of the editions worked, was it just changed so much that... Blizzard did eventually kind of go back and now we've got classic and things like that where they've tried to rework. I believe you were telling me when we were writing the other day that you have the bronze dragons where you can actually go back to the way things were before Deathwing came out. So they're starting to put... No, not that far. Oh, okay. There's some of the zones where you can go back. I think it starts at Warlords of Draenor expansion. Okay. So the Blasted Lands, you can switch back and forth between old school Blasted Lands and Warlords of Draenor Blasted Lands. Okay. So that's one of the zones. Tears Fall, where Undercity is, because Undercity got plague bombed at the beginning of Battle for Azeroth. Yeah. Um, Silithus <laughs> is one of those because at the end of Legion, Sargeras stabbed it with a sword. And so there's this giant freaking sword sticking up out of Silithus now. I like it. So that's one where you can switch back and forth, mainly because it hit with the impact of a planet-killing-sized sword coming through the atmosphere, and so you had that multi-megaton blast wave come out, and so it basically destroyed everything. Imagine that. Imagine that. But we are a TTRPG podcast. We are not a World of Warcraft podcast. So let's go ahead and... (laughs) But anyway, back to my original point is they went and they changed so much stuff. And I, among many, there was a large backlash with what people actually liked with that. And it worked for a point, but they did have to start coming back. It's really hard. And it is a drastic step to go ahead and completely shuffle any realms cosmology. But sometimes you have to do it because if you hit a rut, the writers and the creators have to do something different. It's a drastic step, but it's a step I do understand taking just to change things up so you're not rehashing the same thing every edition. And that's the point I was trying to make. Okay. (laughs) Man. All right. So let's go ahead and get started into our para-elemental planes. The first one that we're going to be starting into is going to be the plane of ice. In the fifth edition map of the inner planes it is referred to as the Frostfell. this is the transition between air and water and it is just a giant inhospitable ice sheet imagine antarctica everywhere if you've seen the empire strikes back it's pretty much the planet hoth it is hoth with 
fewer things on it. Yes. It doesn't have Tauntauns. It doesn't have the Wampa. Literally, the only things that live there are elemental creatures affiliated with ice. Yes. So you end up having ice mephits and you have the ice para elementals, these amalgam between uh, water and air. So they don't fly. If you've played the Elder Scrolls games, their closest equivalent is the Frost Atronach. So they're these giant ice creatures. Yeah, they're ice sentinels. And that's one thing, too. Uh, if you go back and actually look, uh, we've referenced this several times this past week just because it's such a great source. But Dragons 347, they talk about some of these creatures. They talk about some of these para-elemental creatures in there. And basically, take an elemental and cross it with a giant and just keep the best of both stat blocks. And that's pretty much what you got. And so, yeah, it's just, it's Elsa's playground, you know, if, if she's doing the whole, you know, let it go snow song thing, whatever. I've only seen the movie once or twice. But I do know she has the giant snow golem, which I totally want an inflatable snow golem for my house and I can't find one. Makes me very sad because it just walks up to people and tells them to go away. And that was the best part of that entire movie, in my opinion. I want that exact creature. I can't find it. Yeah. Sadness. Well. But anyway, it is largely, again, ice elementals. You might find some gin here, some water gin, maybe just some genasi, possibly. Uh, they're not really going to want to stay here too long. This is fairly inhospitable. In the Planescape books, the Merids, the water genies. Is it the Merids? Yeah, the Merids are the water genies. And, and the genasi are the air. No, genasi are half genie. Half genie, okay. Yeah. The gin are the air That's genies. the ones I was thinking of, yes. Okay. So the Myrids, according to the Planescape books, they go on hunts across the Plain of Ice sometimes. And so they're, I guess they're hunting various ice elemental creatures. It is stated in the books that if you're going and digging through the ice, you might come across a pocket of pure air. You might come across a pocket of pure water. You might crack it open and have something come out something like a frost worm. And so you end up having some creatures there that are really dangerous, but they can handle the cold. So that's where they're going to be. Whenever you've got the plane of ice on the water side, you're going to have like where you see the glaciers breaking off into the ocean on those cruise lines. So you end up having the plane of ice breaking off as icebergs into the waters of the plane of water. On the other side, you're going to end up having it whittled down to these spires and bridges of ice that just span out into nothingness that sort of hover over the air. And that's as it transitions into the plane of air. And I think a really cool thing that you can do, something that is mentioned a little bit in the 5th edition DMG, is having ice moats. Basically, they're giant icebergs that float in the air that would be on the air side. It'd almost be like the Hindenburg met the Titanic. <laughs> I, I don't... I don't... Mm. It's not wrong. A giant floating chunk of ice moat to take out any of your air transport. It's not wrong. It's horrible, but it's not wrong. <laughs> Why would you say something so controversial yet so brave? <laughs> but yeah, so because... In the plane of air, they build on these earth moats, their citadels and whatnot. When you get close to the plane of ice, they're probably actually going to be building on these ice moats instead of earth moats because that would be the material there. So you would end up having these citadels made out of living ice, basically, that the djinn would be living in and operating out of. And that's actually a perfect transition because as we've talked about, Plane of Ice is fairly inhospitable. But there are two very interesting locations to come across. And the one, like I said, talking about these kind of chiseled palaces of ice is actually called the Chiseled Estate. And it's located on the precipice of an icy fortress of Cryonax, who's one of the big, like, the big ice deity, like, primal And it deity. is the ice elemental. Right. He can be referenced in the Dragon's Edition that we had talked before. But again, it is this large ice structure. There's underground passages. There's a lot of things going back and forth. You're going to find a lot of yetis. You're going to find some umber hulks and things like that. So there is this one giant ice palace or fortress. The other really cool thing that you can do a lot with is called Arcolanta. And they never actually pinned down the exact wire of this, but somewhere on the plane of ice, you walk up to this giant polished sphere of ice and within it is every imaginable kind of creature frozen inside of it so it's like a frozen zoo that you walk through and nobody knows who runs it 
who owns it, how or why. But they do know that people do occasionally bring in other creatures or magical items to this thing. So it's this weird natural science, natural history museum that people don't know about. So this too can lead one, a really cool location to pop up into, especially if you know you're going to start warming up ice and freeing all these creatures out. Or maybe you find an agent of whoever's running Arcodelanta and you have to start shuffling things from other planes so they can freeze it and put them on display or whatever. So there's actually some really cool ideas that you could really kind of tie in. But I had to jump in where you're talking about the frozen palaces on ice moats because that's exactly what the Chiseled Estate is. Yeah, absolutely. And the Chiseled Estate is in the heart of the plane. So it is as far from any of the other planes as you can get. It is smack in the center. And Lord Cranax, his whole thing is he's trying to amass power because he wants to establish himself as the single most powerful force within the inner planes. He's trying to usurp the genies as the dominant force within the inner planes. So he's the snow miser? Yeah, pretty much. That is his whole shtick. But does he have the song and dance with the hat? I mean, he could. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's your world. You do you. do you. Yeah, so if you want to play the song for your table, we can't do that here on our podcast because of copyright issues, cough, cough. But yeah, if you totally want to like have this guy and introduce him with that, you have my full encouragement to do that because I totally would. <laughs> and before we go, the one single largest hazard on the plane of ice. Not the ice? Is blizzards because the, not the, the kind blizzards, from Dairy Queen. you know, no, not the kind from Dairy Queen. They're about as thick as the kind from Dairy Queen, but that's the big thing is, you know, you get caught in a blizzard. It's according to the Planescape books, it's 3d10 cold damage around. Ouch. And if you get stuck in it, you can't move. And there is no Tauntaun. There is no Tauntaun. So, yes, you have to have special cold weather gear. And you have to have a spell like Endure Elements in order to even go into the Plane of Ice. Because if you don't, you take 1d6 cold damage every single round just for being there. Just the ambient cold of it. Yeah, if you're visiting any of these planes without Endure Elements, uh, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Just put that out there. It's not always Endure Elements. There are different spells for different planes, but for this one in particular, it does border the Plane of Air. So there is breathable air here. But it's just so cold. You know, fire effects are halved in the plane of ice just because of how cold it is. Please cast fireball on me, please. I'm so cold. (laughs) Yes, but that's the sort of things that you end up running into. All right, so we're going to be circling around the map counterclockwise. Anticlockwise for our spitters folk. Yeah. So the next one on our list is, depending on edition, the plane of smoke or the plane of ash. In the older editions, it's the Plane of Smoke. In 5th edition, it is listed as the Plane of Ash, or the Conflagration. That's Um, a great name. It really is. Uh, This is where the Plane of Air and the Plane of Fire meet up. And so it is literally just a big mass of smoke and ash clouds. There's no land here So it's not an easy place to go into, and it's not an easy place to get around in. And in 2nd edition, the reason why you didn't want to go to the Plane of Smoke was you had to have a very specific spell. You had to have a spell called Smoke Breathing, or you had to have a special breathing apparatus that would work in the Plane of Smoke. Smoke Breathing? Really, Wizards? Really? Yes. Really? I think they were watching a little too much Teach and Chong on that one. Dude, let's have... Let's have... Everything's just smoky, man. Yeah, it'd be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, this is the ultimate hot box. It Um, really is. So if you don't have one of those two things, you had to hold your breath. But you can only hold your breath for so long. And once you had to breathe, every single turn, you had to make a fort save. And it was like a DC 15 fort save. And if you succeed on your fort save, you take 1d10 poison damage. Yay. If you fail, you die. Oh, well, you know, there's there's that. Straight up, if you fail, you die. As we said at the beginning, these planes, the para-elementals, were notoriously inhospitable. Yes. Well, I mean, the elemental planes themselves were also notoriously inhospitable. Inhospitable, yes. I mean, these the para-elemental planes, they aren't unique in how deadly they are. All of the elemental planes are deadly. They didn't make them a lot squishier. Yeah, it's just a different kind. <laughs> it's just a different flavor of deadly. Like, Jigsaw would have totally loved porting people to different planes just to see how they would react. You know, if you want to summon your old Saw movie 
galore. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he would have used the plane of ooze primarily because that's what they did, and we're gonna get to that. Oh, no, I totally, I would have totally seen him put some smokers here in the plane of cinders. Oh yeah, yeah, he would totally have sent some chain smokers in here to suffocate. This almost has a Dante's Inferno type feel of it too, where it's like let's find something and then just make it as terrible for any particular set of people as we possibly can. I kind of get that feel with it a little bit too. And again, I really do enjoy Dante's Inferno. If you ever get a chance to read it, I highly suggest it. So there are very few creatures that live in the plane of smoke. One of them primarily is the smoke method. There are smoke para-elementals as well in the third edition Manual of the Plains books, but primarily what you're going to run into is smoke methods. There's one in particular listed in the Planescape book as a cock, the smoldering duke, and he resides in a place called the Choking Palace, which is a palace made of smoke, and he is the self-proclaimed ruler of smoke methods. There's not a whole lot known about him. He makes himself sound like he's either maybe a genie, or maybe he's a fragment of some primordial elemental power. But the most likely thing is that he's actually just a smoke method that has lived long enough and accrued enough power to be unique among smoke methods which among methods that's kind of amazing because again your methods as you were they're generally going to be like a cr one cr one half they're some of your squishy first encounter type monsters along the line of kobolds now you've got this you know relatively giant one that apparently can pull some weight and is strong enough to claim dominance over a whole plane which is really cool and this choking palace makes my geek heart twitter it's basically a giant library filled with lost lore. I think it's really funny too, or really fitting that, you know, this is the smoke plane. So you have wizards recently has released Candlekeep mysteries and Candlekeep itself has been a thing in lore for a while where you could go and they've got the great library where you can find just about anything. So what happens when you snuff a candle smoke? So you've got a smoke palace, which is kind of almost like a mirror in this plane of what I would imagine Candlekeep being where, again, it's just a collection of esoteric lore and knowledge and hidden secrets, all kept by a clouded, relatively questionable method. I'm really, really enjoying this. And so the one point I really need to drive home is that, canonically, he does not like being called a method. He gets very upset if someone refers to him as a method because he's not a method anymore in his own eyes. He may have started as a method, but he sees himself as having accrued enough power to ascend beyond that. And so if you refer to him as a method, bad things are going to happen. I would absolutely love, like, I wouldn't use a cuck as a big bad evil guy, but definitely as, like, your main contact point for your party. And if your party ever wanted to, like, jab at him or something, just, you know, drop the M-word around him just to see how he reacts, would totally be a really fun thing to do. So it's like, he's not the head bad guy, but he's like the questionable guy that you have to deal with for lack of any other options. And so you're kind of taking digs at each other whenever you can. I could totally see that playing out in this scenario. I can totally see him because now that we've got talking about this library that he has and how he is an elemental being that has amassed a lot of power, I can totally see him being a warlock patron for a Pact of the Tome Warlock. Oh, that would be great. That would be so much fun. You know, you throw that fire and air feel to him. So you flavor their available spell list based off of those elemental spells. And so you end up having some certain uh, divination spells, maybe. Things like Comprehend Languages and some of the scrying spells, maybe. And things that can allow you to accrue knowledge maybe even use the genie patron as the basis for a character like that yeah i like that i would also add for flavor that like your character wherever he goes he smells like smoke either either cigarette smoke or like a burnt building or like wood fire smoke but definitely he should smell of smoke walk around personally i would go more along the lines of like smelling like a forge smelling like coal smoke Possibly. Because I see the plane of fire as being a very mineral fire as opposed to an organic 
fire, if that right, makes any sense. But with the plane of smoke or the plane of ash, both of those tend to go to an organic source either way. And again, that would be DM flavor text at that point. So I could see either one, uh, you know, either like that foundry smell or like Ian was saying, a coal fire would actually not be too far off a thing because that's actually a bit of everything all thrown in once. I would say that your character would commune with its deity though whenever like you took a long rest, whenever there was a forge fire or a campfire or anything like that. And maybe they go into like a trance around fires. And that's the point where they get their point of communion. I would say that you would have to have that magical incense that you use as a reagent. Yes. Um, Perfect idea. Awesome. Well done. And you have to use like wet wood to get the right amount of smoke. Wet sandalwood. Yeah. So you would have to make a fire and you just sit there huffing the smoke and it would let you communicate with your patron. That's I like how that would work out. That's something we're going to have to draw up. We're going to have to like wind up drawing up all these warlord patrons eventually. Yeah, that would be a fun one. All right. So I think that pretty much takes care of the, the plane of smoke. There is one more place. Okay. Also secreted somewhere within the plane is the hidden city. It's a massive city built on top of a natural spring of water. So as we talked about with the other planes, you do get some interruptions or some penetrations of the other planes within the planes. And so somewhere within the plane of smoke there is a natural spring and they've built a city around this but again it is clouded largely by magic and smoke trying to help keep it hid but there is another point they say the rulers of the cities are always twin heirs at least for the past eight generations and they go to great lengths to ensure those worthy travelers who need food and shelter can find the city and they're always open to those who are running away from the oppressions of genies so this is kind of like an escape house, maybe where we talked about where the Ifrit and the Plane of Fire have such a large slave trade. You could actually use this like a uh, underground railroad of sorts from the Plane of Fire to the Plane of Smoke and find the hidden city to kind of hide and stash out. And then maybe either trying to get to the Plane of Water or even to the Material Plane from here. But again, there is this other city that's kind of a safe house for those trying to escape. Genies in particular, which is actually, again, that's all they really give you. But that's enough you could build a lot of story around. Absolutely. And because the djinn of the airplane tend towards lawful and good, I would see that they would be the sort of entities that these people fleeing the Ifrit would be going towards because they would actually be able to help them. And they'd need some protection too. So yeah, that'd actually be a great idea as well. And canonically in the Planescape setting, the Plane of Smoke is the battleground where the Ifrit and the Jinn fight it out because it is on the border. So both factions are already there and this whole uh, escaped slave conflict can be a background source for the conflict between the jinn and the Ifrit. That would make a great mid-level scenario or even like a handful of one-offs. But yeah, this would be just a great setup for some mid-level scenarios, I think. Especially if you ended up running with the concept that you brought up last week. We're talking about going and kicking in the teeth of some slavers, fighting against the Dao and the Ifrit and their slave trade. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that has epic story just written all over it. So I think that's got the plane of smoke pretty much taken care of. If you've noticed, I've been referring to this as the plane of smoke, which is the older name for it the whole time, because in second edition, there were both a plane of smoke and a plane of ash. The plane of ash is one of the quasi elemental planes, and I'm going to touch on those a little bit at the end. So the next plane that we're going to be talking about going around the clock face is the plane of magma which lies between the planes of fire and earth. This is where Dr. Evil lives. It's all just lava flows and churning land. It looks like the volcanoes on Maui all the time, everywhere. So it's a slow flow of lava always. And it also had a save or die mechanic in Planescape. So because the ground could crack open underneath you at any time, I think it was specifically if you became paralyzed in the plane of magma, you just automatically crack through the crust on this magma and you fall into the magma and die. That sounds terrible. That'd be a terrible place to put a basilisk. Yeah. Well, I mean, the basilisk, <laughs> basilisk is petrified. So you might actually have a little bit of time because you'd be rock, but they'd have to fish you out and then get you out of the rock that's cooled around you before they could do uh, stone to flesh to change you back. 
But I think the whole idea behind that particular mechanic is you had to remain constantly in motion because if you stopped in one place, you would break through the crust. It'd be like, it'd be like running across a frozen lake. Yeah, kind of. Except instead of really cold water, it is molten rock that will instantly kill you. So in this case, the floor actually is lava. The floor is literally lava. <laughs> and the one notable location within the plane of magma, according to Planescape, is called Caldera. And it's a it is a stronghold where an entity named Chalimba, his title is the first general of the cauldron and master of all mephits. That's where he lives. So we got another trumped up mephit. Whether he's a mephit or not, I don't know, because that's not specified but if he's a powerful enough entity you can claim to be a master of all methods without actually being a method if that makes sense you know a jinn could claim to be the master of all methods if he's powerful enough to actually assert that when it's challenged but caldera serves as the meeting place between the afridi and the dao whenever they're doing their trades so this is the marketplace if you will between the dao and the afridi so this is where they go to exchange slaves and raw materials. And that's how that works. Right. And again, if we were going to do our campaign we were talking about earlier, this would probably be a good push off point for like your breakout or whatever, as if you caught something or broke up a slave trade or a transaction before it completed. Yeah, this would definitely be a prominent location within a campaign like that. So there's another actually fairly interesting place within the planet of magma called the Fields of Nevermore. And this is a city that has built up. But I like this area just because of the lore of the zone. So apparently at some point there was a weapon called the Chill Sword that was super, super powerful. And people went trying to destroy it. So they said, hey, let's take this thing to the planet of magma and throw it in the lava, kind of like you would Sauron's ring. And instead of actually destroying the sword, it actually chilled all of the magma around it for a set area enough that people could kind of gather here and build up a city. So the sword's still stuck there in the magma or now in the stone, some in your Arthurian legends. And again, the rock and everything around that is chilled enough by the magic from this blade that this little pocket of area becomes hospitable. Oh, I can totally see the fallout from somebody going and actually pulling this sword out. Look at me, I'm King Arthur. <laughs> and just how far the Afrit and the Dao collectively would go to keep someone from getting to the sword to pull it out. Oh my, yes. Or even if one or the other, you know, either the Afrit or the Dao, depending on how the power structure of the city was, when you set up the scenario, maybe they're trying to steal the sword for their own. You know, whoever controls the sword basically controls the city because, you know, to summon Dune, you control something if you can destroy it, right? So I control the city because I control the sword, and I'm going to take my ball and go home whenever I want. This would definitely be something that Lord Krynax would be wanting to get a hold of. Oh, absolutely. This would be right in his ballpark, too. So Because, you know, the plane of ice and the plane of magma are opposed planes. They're on opposite sides of the clock face from one another. And where Krynax has this drive for power to assert himself as the dominant elemental power in the inner planes, he would totally be going through all sorts of different schemes to try and get somebody in there to get that sword. Yes. And this is where you get your song battle between the snow miser and the heat miser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the plane of magma is called the fountains of creation. So this is where a lot of the actual earth for the plane of earth is created and it pushes into the plane of earth from the plane of fire and then you end up having it shove off on the other side and sort of fall into the mud hills and then into the plane of ooze on the other side as it just sort of churns over and that's why the plane of earth is always in motion it's always moving and is very seismically active is because you always have this creation going on the border between fire and earth and it's pushing the earth across the plane of earth and then down into the plane of water on the other side right so this is going to summon your science classes in, in elementary school and middle school where you're talking about plate tectonics and like you mentioned before the whole you know the volcanoes through hawaii and maui where you have that constant flow of magma and lava coming out hits the water it cools it becomes land and that's how you know you get island chains and stuff formed and so again i could go into plate tectonics because i'll geek out on science stuff all day but yeah this is exactly all of your if you ever wanted to be like i'm going to be a volcanologist when you were in school then this is where you're playing 
Absolutely. All right. Do you have anything else for the plane of magma? No, that's what I've got. <laughs> okay. So we're going to move on now to the last of the four para-elemental planes, and that's the Plane of Ooze, or the Swamp of Oblivion. In the older editions, it was just an infinite plane of ooze, in the same way that the Plane of Water was just an infinite expanse of water, that it didn't have a surface, it didn't have a bottom, it was just water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. The Plane of Ooze, it had this ochre, so this sort of orange-yellow-brown tone to it. And it was a location that was kind of like water, but not quite. It had just enough sediment in it to where if you had the water breathing spell, you couldn't use it because your lungs would fill with mud. So what I envision when you describe the zone, what is it? The the swamp of eternal stink in Labyrinth? The, the bog of eternal stench? Yes, that. That's kind of what I picked. Well, in 5th edition, it actually is a proper swamp so it actually does have a surface to it and there are some unnamed settlements according to the dmg where they're basically they're built on stilts out here in the swamp but i wanted to read this little bit this is a description of the plane of ooze and how it is used in the second edition planescape setting book and i quote with a wave of the hand Evil wizard tyrants send their enemies here to drown, choking on lungfuls of stagnant silt. Kinder souls merely imprison foes here, sealing them inside bubbles of pure air. Oh, they sometimes forget the niceties of food and water, leaving their prisoners to slow starvation, but at least they kept them from immediate death. Even those fully provided for face unhappy fates, for there's little or nothing to stave off the madness that boredom brings." Small wonder the plane is also known as the House of Chambered Madness. This is the plane of nope. Yeah. This is where you send things when you want them gone. Like, even to read further the manual of the Planescapes, I, I believe that's where I read it. The methods that live here are constantly actively trying to seek and find a way out. Nothing wants to be here. <laughs> yeah, mud methods are the native to the Plane of Ooze, and they don't want to be here either. Like I said, this is absolutely the Plane of Nope. <laughs> so yeah, you actually have to have a modified water-breathing spell in order to breathe in the muck of the Plane of Ooze. But in 5th edition, where it's now called the Swamp of Oblivion, and it's now actually a proper swamp with swamp plants and giant swarms of mosquitoes and green hags and such living in here. The reason why you would go to the Swamp of Oblivion is because if you cast an item into the Swamp of Oblivion, it is lost into the swamp for at least a century. It could be much longer than that, but the short cutoff is 100 years. So it's 100 plus years, you chuck this item in here, and it's gone. So imagine with me, if you would, you take a very important magical item and you chuck it into a teenager's room. Yeah, kind that's of. That's pretty much what we got. <laughs> kind of, yeah. But this is where you take magic items that are too powerful to be destroyed, but the big bad needs them for their evil plan. So you manage to get your hands on it. You can't destroy it. So you go to the Plane of Ooze and cast it into the swamp. So referencing back our possible adventures in the Plane of Magma, you take the chill sword, you steal it, and instead of giving it to Cryonax, you chuck it into the plane of ooze and say, oops, there it goes. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, that would be an interesting thing because then you'd have this big frozen expanse in the swamp. You would have this. So I guess it'd be easier to find theoretically if you could find where the frozen expanse was. It would be a literal needle in the haystack. But beyond that, I mean, that would be the thumb your nose at everybody and not play one side or the other. But again, an interesting possibility that could definitely turn a story on its side. And I would almost say that because it is lost for at least a century whenever you first chuck it in the magic doesn't take hold it only takes hold once it resurfaces yes perfect and so because there are treasure hunters that go to the swamp of oblivion and rummage around in the muck looking for these lost artifacts that have resurfaced you end up having these scavengers come across and then all of a sudden they come across this patch of frozen swamp there's this disc of icy muck this frozen mud that's just sitting here i mean it's basically a disc of permafrost that just suddenly appears in the middle of the swamp and they figure out where the center of it is and they go to the center of it and in the center they find this sword yes yeah, so now let's take this a step further your bard or whoever you have this is beyond their ability to identify and their scope of lore 
So now you have to take this store to the Smoke of Cinders to the uh, oh, what was the name of the palace? Um, blanking on it. The cho- so you have the to take Choking Palace. Yeah, you have to take them to the Choking Palace to sit there and rummage through and see if you can identify this damn thing. And so, I mean, you could sit there and do a little planescape run, even just through the paraplanes, almost with all of this. So, I mean, really, you could start lining things up. You just take a little dots here and there. And like we said at the beginning, there really is a good foundation laid down. They have not done a lot of adventures here. There's not a lot of here's how to do stuff, but the pieces really are all there. I think the other thing I really kind of like about the Plain of Ooze that's a bit insidious, but you've got your towns of Neverwinter and Candlekeep and all these great celestial cities everywhere. Where's all the trash go? Nobody ever talks about the sanitation department in these cities. It's because the mages get together and pretty much they pop a huge portal and they kind of shuffle everything out here into the Plain of Ooze via a portal. Or they'll have their sewers line run down and into a portal for, you know, so that's deals with most of your city trash that said kobolds as we've discussed many times long before tend to live in the sewers they tend to be the ones doing the dirty jobs doing a lot of your cleanup work so i think if there was like a large group of kobolds that maybe got stuck here at some point i think that would be a really good like you could have a whole little village or an encampment of long established kobolds yeah that would be fun yeah it would be a lot of fun to deal with now going off of that because what you're saying there that is a very second edition Planescape aspect to it because that's how the city of Sigil gets rid of all of their trash. They shunt it through a portal into the Plain of Ooze because it is a giant extra planar city that has no facilities for that sort of thing, but it's full of portals and doorways. So it connects to everything. Might as well just dump it into the Plain of Ooze and combine that with the House of Chambered Madness aspect of it to where... You know, you got people who are imprisoned in these air bubbles within the muck of the plane. You combine those two and you have the scavengers who are picking through the extra planar trash that's being dropped in from all of these other cities. You combine all of those things together and that's where you get this concept of the Swamp of Oblivion that they have in 5th edition of, you know, being able to chuck something in to forget about it but eventually it will resurface and be found again. Can we summon Millhouse Manastorm just once? Absolutely. <laughs> I am all for Millhouse Manastorm. <laughs> Millhouse Manastorm was a great character. Yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, his wife, Millicent, actually makes an appearance during Legion. She's one of the prisoners in Violet Hold in Dalaran and is one of the bosses that you can get randomly in the revamped Violet Hold dungeon. I'm going to have to read that lore, because I know Milhouse himself was in Violet Hold for a while. No, he was in uh, Architraz. No, I'm pretty sure he was in Violet Hold, too. Well, I don't remember him being in Violet Hold. I know he was in Architraz because he was in Architraz during the dungeon run in BC. Okay. Because he's one of the prisoners that gets released during the final boss fight. Gotcha. I thought that was Violet Hold. It could be Architraz. I could have been wrong. But either way, it's been so long since I've played since I've played retail. Anyway, we're getting off topic again. Again, this is not a World of Warcraft podcast. This is not. But again, <laughs> a lot of these things, a lot of good ideas. And Millhouse Manistrum should be freaking everywhere. He should. The last thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, according to Planescape, there is a Baron of the Plain of Ooze. His name is Wimb, B-W-I-M-B. Nobody's certain who they are or where they are. Or what exactly they're the Baron of. You know those Musnex commercials? Yeah. That's, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically the giant phlegm mucus monster. <laughs> I'm okay with calling him Bwimb. That name almost fits. So that brings us to the end of the para-elemental planes. And I wanted to touch a little bit on the quasi-elemental planes. We're not going to go into much detail on them because there's eight of them. And there's not really enough in any of these i mean the bulk of them is these are inhospitable you don't want to go here right these almost become a minor cosmology wheel on themselves which is kind of weird and really fascinating if you wanted to delve into it right so on the positive side you end up having the plane of lightning which is between air and the positive plane when you go into the plane of lightning you're surrounded by saint elmo's fire That's the big thing about it. So invisibility spells and abilities are completely useless because you're basically permanently under the effects of fairy fire. I like it. That's the big thing about the plane of lightning. You have the plane of radiance, which is between fire and positive. 
if you go in here, you're probably going to go blind. It is just all shimmering, super bright curtains of prismatic light. And there are certain properties that you can get if you smelt and work steel within the plane of radiance, if you can still see to do that. I would almost want to make this like a requirement. Like if someone wanted to make a divine weapon, you would have to forge it in the plane of radiance. This is where you go if you want to craft an artifact. Yes, absolutely. Especially if it's an artifact with a divine connection, you would have to go here to have a properly, because it does border with the plane of positive energy. So you're going to have that divine connection to it because so many of the clerical spells have that positive energy going on them but at the border between the edge of the plane of radiance and the plane of positive energy is supposedly the heart of light which is this tower of blue light that supposedly if you can get to it you can perform acts of magical healing that are otherwise impossible So if you wanted to heal the entire world, you need to go here. This is where you would go to cure the spell plague. Yes, absolutely. If you were playing in a world where the spell plague happened. This is where you would go to perform the magical rituals to cure the spell plague. Or where you would go to revive a god. Yes. Next is the plane of mineral. Shiny. (laughs) It It is the plane of earth turned up to 11. Because it is made entirely of interwoven veins of pure metals and pure gems. I really like that. Like, I really want to visit that place. The thing about it is all of the passageways that you come across are lined with jagged crystals. And so every turn that you move within the plane of minerals, you take 1d4 damage. Sometimes it's Sometimes worth taking it's worth a little it. bit of hurt for some shiny <laughs> stuff. I'm just saying out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is where you would go... I know you mentioned in our episode last week where we were talking about the plane of Earth and Morden sending someone somewhere to get a vein of mithril or something. Right. This would be where they go. Oh, absolutely. The other thing, what was the creatures we talked about last week? I'm blanking on the names of them. Not the Zorn. The other ones that got addicted to metals. and and, Uh, Delvers. The Delvers. Imagine bringing a bunch of Delvers here just going on a giant bender. Oh, I mean, they wouldn't come (laughs) back. (laughs) <laughs> well, you'd port them back. That'd be the whole thing is you bring them here, give them a taste, as it were, and say, hey, I need some work done, and I can send you back. Yeah, I I don't know. That's, you know, there's a certain amount of, I don't want to get too far into this because we're talking about, we're getting dangerously close to trivializing drug addiction. Fair enough. But I'm talking about Fair this enough. in the context that you're bringing up. What you're talking about here, while it is not a humanoid, while it is an aberration creature it is still a sentient creature and basically what you are proposing is forcibly addicting a creature so that it will be your slave and i'm not okay with that james i i will grant you that is an extremely dark 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 gray yeah no just full black area i apologize yeah that's we're not gonna go there (laughs) every once in a while i do slip out of my chaotic neutral and i do slip into the neutral evil i do my best to stay into the chaotic neutral but sometimes i have bad sometimes you slip into magnus (laughs) a little bit (laughs) because magnus was neutral evil yes he was But yeah, so that's what you end up having there in the Plane of Mineral. The Tao are well aware of the Plane of Mineral, and they don't like outsiders going there unless uh, for, uh, for obvious reasons. Unless they're hired. But again, that this also leads to the Tao. Where... There's no hired with the Tao. Exactly. The Tao the send the their slaves to do this. Yes, and their slaves for the Daos tend to be very disposable. And so where we talked about if you move, you're taking a certain amount of damage no matter what. Therefore, send them in, and when they drop, we'll just pull the corpse out and whatever they were able to pick up while they're in there. No, we'll leave the corpse there. Because in Planescape, where the plane of Earth had that fossilization aspect to it, where you could become encased in the stone and trapped there until you die and then something comes along and finds you. If you become fossilized on the plane of mineral, you turn into a random metal or gem. Nice. So you would end up, you just send them in there and they mine until either they die or they get hit by the magics of the realm and turned into something else. And then you end up just mining them later. 
You could do that, but again, the problem is is you'd have to extract something. So if they drop, you could just like whatever they turn into, if they were connected to like a rope or whatever, you could pull them out with whatever they had mined or turned into, bring them back through whatever portal you had. And that would be a way to harvest off of whoever didn't come back. That way they weren't lost. Either way. But the DAO themselves would be able to just go in and do that because they are elemental creatures of earth affinity okay then yeah so they, just let them wait on in absolutely yeah. so they yeah. would be able to do that they'd be able to send uh enslaved elementals to go in and do that they'd be able to send uh enslaved zorn in to do that because the zorn do go in there as well zorn. so that is something else some other aspect to that and then the last one on the positive side is the plane of steam which as pointed out in the planescape book it's kind of a misnomer. It's more like the plane of mist. Think of it like a really large, kind of overly occupied bathhouse. Everyone just walking around in towels. Not quite. Oh, okay. Because it's cold. It's not hot steam. It is more like if you're walking. The mist. <laughs> it's more like if you're walking around San in Francisco. Will you let me talk? <laughs> Sorry. Come on, man. <laughs> It's like if you're walking around in a giant bottle of seltzer. It's water with great big air bubbles in it. So you have to go from bubble to bubble. And as you get further away from the plane of water and further towards the plane of positive energy, the bubbles start to glow because oh, they're picking cool. they're picking up that positive energy off of the plane of positive energy. I live in a champagne bottle. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So yes, you can drown in the air there. If you're not careful, you would really want to have the water breathing spell if you could. And that would be something for exploring in there. But there's really not a whole lot there. Yeah, again, when you start dealing with your plane of air, either way, it tends to be vacuous, I guess, for lack of a better term. Not quite. That's the next one. Because now we're transitioning into the planes that are bordering the plane of negative energy. And the first one is the plane of vacuum. Well, there's nothing there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, basically. There's no air, there's no sound, there's no creatures. You are in space. Yes, literally. But on all of these planes, on all of the planes that border the plane of negative energy, there's a faction in Planescape called the Doom Guard who have their citadels in these planes. Ooh, that sounds fun. Their whole thing is preserving entropy. They believe that entropy is the final state of the multiverse, and they're there to ensure that entropy continues to happen. Wait, wait, to... wait. You're, you're telling me they literally believe in chaos with who? Yes. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they don't go out and say, you know, you just built this house, so we're going to tear it down. They don't do that. But they would not take kindly to someone going around using mending cantrips all the time to repair things because their whole thing is the tree grows and then you cut it down and you build a house out of it. And then eventually that house becomes infested with termites and the termites eat the wood and the house falls down. And then the remains of the house rot away so that another tree can grow. That is the whole thing with the doom guard is that they want to preserve that progression of entropy. I like these guys. I can totally back this. And so because of that, they have these citadels in these four planes that border the plane of negative energy on the border between the plane that they're in and the plane of negative energy where they sit there and ensure that entropy continues. So the one on the plane of air is vacuum. And this is the pinnacle of entropy. According to the doom guard, this is the height of what they believe in. And so vacuum is what they are aspiring to i definitely need to check out the doom guard because that sounds just really really interesting to mess with and the whole thing about the plane of vacuum is there are no creatures here unless they happen to be creatures of pure negative energy that happen to hitch a ride on any travelers that enter the plane and come back out oh wow so that is the whole spiel behind the plane of vacuum. We're probably not campaigning here. I'm just putting that out. No. And the Citadel in the plane of vacuum is called uh, Citadel Exhalus, Portal of the Last Breath, which is kind of metal. <laughs> that really is. So you go over to the border between negative and fire, and you have the plane of ash. And this is why I was referring to the border between fire and air as the plane of smoke, because this is the plane of ash. 
This is where the Doom Guard used to have a citadel called Citadel Cavitius, which was a giant skull on the edge of the plane of negative energy. They don't live there anymore. They had to build another citadel called the Crumbling Citadel because this is where Vecna moved in and he turned it into his prison. Oh my. So anyone who Vecna doesn't particularly like because they're delving too deep into secrets and he wants to keep those secrets hidden, he plops them into his giant skull castle in the Plain of Ash. Here we can campaign. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. It's basically Castle Grayskull. Absolutely. I was thinking like you could have a whole jailbreak type thing with the Doom Guard as well. And that, yes, Skeletor may or may not make an appearance depending on yeah. your, your copyright consciousness or whatnot. But yeah, absolutely. And then continuing around, you have between Earth and Negative, you have the Plane of Dust. This is where Citadel Alluvius is. And it is the primary citadel for the Doom Guard because this is, of the four, the most habitable of these negative quasi-elemental planes. It starts off as you're leaving out of the plane of Earth. It's where it finally breaks away from, you know, solid stone and these random passages that snake through the plane. It finally opens up and it becomes just this curtain of dust and grit and silt that you just sort of pass through it's like trying to trying to think of a good example it's the sandstorm at the end of dune kind of yeah no kind of it's absolutely the sandstorm at the end of dune so it starts off very fine very powdery as you're leaving the plane of earth and as you get closer to the negative plane, it becomes grittier and more abrasive until you actually get to Citadel Alluvius, which is built around the portal between the plane of dust and the negative plane. This would be a harder place to um, to run a campaign. I could see land sharks being particularly nasty through here, I think. Aside from your method in your elementals, in your Dao. Because I'm sure your Dao are going to be hopping around here too. Oh yeah. So bullets are going to be in here. Um any of your worm-like creatures, so your purple worms and your thakwa are going to be in here. Probably your bronze and your blue dragons as well. Uh, brass. Brass, brass dragons, blue. yes, sorry. Um, yeah, brass and blues. So the ones that have a natural burrow speed, they would be right at home here because basically they could fly through it. Oh my god, that would be just like, la la, surprise dragon, holy yeah. crap. <laughs> so it's burrowing, but it can burrow at its fly speed. Oh. That would be terrifying. Oh, dear God. Yeah, let's. that's also a land of nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the last one is the Plain of Salt. This is where Karen lives. <laughs> uh, so the Doom Guard Citadel here is Citadel Silt. I know it's real creative, uh, <laughs> but it starts as just especially briny, brackish water as it borders on the plane of water and as you get further into it the salt begins to crystallize around any possible surface um, it begins to form little seed crystals and build on that and you have these giant salt crystals forming until eventually it just gives way to a solid salt flat and then you have this citadel made of salt on the far end i like it now i don't know this realm of salt makes me think again i'm a lapidary so i'm thinking automatically like crystals and stuff which would be some really cool stuff you could do going through and looking at the planes as they're mapped out here and as we've talked with the negative and the positive planes as poles to this you know larger cosmology my intro quote i used for the thing was actually from a treatise someone talking about the various temperaments and things of alchemical processing and that is a point of lore that i really do enjoy researching but even the alchemical processes as listed or as you can find generally go through colors or steps so in this case you burn something to refine it and then you distill it to a salt you take it back down into a liquid you effervesce it and that is supposed to get its quintessence form your Philosopher's Stone, your Aqua Vita, whatever you have, you know, your purest form would be your Radiance, which again, looking at how they've built the cosmology, you've got your Ash and your Salt connected to your negative planes. And then as you transcend, you take your Salt, you then again, mix it with water and distill it. That would be your Steam or your Effervescence, and then eventually to your Pure Form or your Radiance. So looking at that and how these were laid out really ties into that, which is a lot, a lot of fun. And again, there's a lot of lore stuff you can delve in here. D&D, &D, dealing with a lot of, you know, esoteric lore, things like that. 
great ideas, great prompts for just writing stories, writing a campaign, just coming up with an idea, just so much stuff to inspire whatever gets your creative juices tingling to start with. And because the plane of salt borders on the negative energy plane, and because negative energy is affiliated with death and undeath, I would totally see salt from the plane of salt being a necessary component for, say, making a flesh golem or becoming a lich. Oh, absolutely. Or making a mummy lord, something like that. So I would definitely see this as being a material component necessary for one of those transformations involving high level undead. Yeah, maybe you need like a certain salt crystal to form your phylactery or something like that. That would actually be Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. So you know how they sell those like Himalayan salt lamps? You need like one of those so you can stick your blood in there, but it has to be like a perfectly clear one. And it has to be an actual whole crystal and not something that's been, you know, sheared out. Yeah. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. That would be cool. But yeah, I think that's just about got it for today. And as we've said many times, I mean, we've brushed on everything because that's really what there is, is just brushings. But again, just what we've bantered and rambled on about today, there is a lot that you could really really built some great stories out of. They left you literally all of the tools you need. They did none of the work for you. If you want a D&D sandbox, these transitional planes or these paraplanes are like the perfect place to do that. So thank you everyone for listening today. If you have any ideas or comments or suggestions for what we should cover in future episodes, please send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing my Shakespearean insult page-a-day calendar inspired roleplay prompts six days a week. You can find them up on our Twitter account and also cross-posted to our Instagram and Facebook accounts at undercommontaste. We are on Patreon now, so if you want to help support the show financially, please come over there and become a patron. We have all of our write-ups are included on the Patreon page, and we are also now doing some patron-exclusive content, but everybody who is a patron gets access to all of the patron-exclusive content. That is something that was very important to me because if you're paying me, you should have access to all of our content. Absolutely. Again, as always, you can find our podcast anywhere. You can find podcasts now. We're pretty much global, which is really nice to do. We've got most of the podcast collaborators, so always rate and review us. Tell us to your friends, kind of get us out there, help increase our invisibility. and with your help re- increase our visibility our yes our, you no, said invisibility oh, buddy i'm hiding so rate and review us again leave us our comments that helps increase our visibility and again through our listener comments and stuff like that we can get an idea of what you like or what you want to hear we can work on something we have considered in the past is taking some of your ideas if you have like a half-baked idea for a homebrew process or a homebrew something that you want to see kind of fleshed out that could possibly be something we work on as well yeah we would love to get something like i have this class concept but i don't know how to execute it taking that and trying to build something from it that would be something that we would really be interested in so if you have something like that that you want to see fleshed out go ahead and send it to us and we'll work on it but that said Thank you again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week. Happy gaming. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dr. Mary C. Crowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.